Hello, everybody. This is Conrad Franz, joined by Dimitri Kaligan, coming at you with another episode of Ether Hour. This is episode six. We are coming fresh off our first free episode made available to the public out of the goodness of our hearts, where we were with Father Joseph Gleason discussing his latest project, translating the works of Father Konstantin Bufeyev on the issues of creation and evolution from an Orthodox perspective. Be sure to check that one out. But we're back with our normal premium episodes. Of course, we'll have that free preview at the beginning for you cheapskates. But for those of our loyal paying subscribers, this is another you know, uncensored hour of our interest show, our niche show, our history show, our esoteric show, our saints show, whatever it is you want to consider it. This is it. And we've got a great subject today discussing some history of the Donbass, some of the heroes there. Dimitri, how are you doing? How are you feeling about this episode today? Excited to be here, Conrad. Of course, this is kind of a passion project of ours. We always wanted to do an episode about some of the heroes and notable figures of the Novorossiya rebellion against Ukraine and the separatists, or better, better call, I suppose, unionists, those folks re- responsible for Donetsk and Lugansk now joining the Russian Federation and who wanted to reunite these regions with Russia. There are three particular figures we, which we, I think, should discuss today, and that would be, you know, Igor Strelkov, Motorola and the famous, uh, I suppose, celebrity level um, Givi, who, you know, these three figures, I think, will be mentioned today in our episode, and we'll discuss them quite in depth. And the three figures, I think, notably are very in- related to each other. They were there from the onset of the conflict right after the Euromaidan concluded itself in the Ukraine in 2014, and all the way through to the first Minsk Accords and also the second Minsk Accords. So these pre- three particular figures in this Ukraine-Russia early conflict, you could say, interaction narrative played a very key role in, in what we see today in the special military operation and even contemporary, I suppose, history, as well as the future of the region. Uh, these are really defining people in this particular story. You're right. The history books, you know, these are going to be people that are going to be in there. Their pictures are going to be in the little section about the precursor to this huge, now largest conflict of the 21st century that, we, that we're seeing unfold in Eastern Europe. But you mentioned Givi, Motorola, Strelkov, only one of those is still with us today, which, you know, this, uh, this episode might be a bit of a downer for some people who admire these figures. But, you know, you say Givi, Motorola, these were these military leaders of the Donetsk People's Republic specifically. The Strelkov was more involved in the Luhansk People's Republic, as were some other figures that also ended up getting assassinated by, by nefarious forces through the course of this conflict. But when we mention Givi and Motorola, Givi, of course, being Mikhail Tolstik, and Motorola being Arsen Pavlov, these were their their you know normal civilian names. Givi and Motorola being their call signs, and these two guys were again sort of just uh, Motorola had a military background, but Givi was just a regular guy. He was a security guard at a supermarket, you know, but he had wanted to be a soldier, but had a speech impediment, so had never been allowed in the military. And then, as Dmitri said, when the Maidan kicked off, these are. These were Russians. These guys saw themselves as Russians. They saw what some of these radicals backed by the State Department and Zog were doing, you know, to this country of Ukraine, which before that had been, at least in the eyes of most people, they're part of the Russian world, at least in the Russian sphere of influence, despite its unfortunate separation. And so they, you know, when some of these, as we see now in their manifestations, they've many of them have been taken out now, but the earliest forms of Azov Battalion right sector, these other 
radical right-wing Nazi Ukrainian nationalist Banderite groups, you know, they were terrorizing people. And these guys took up the call to, you know, stand up to the earliest terror bombings of Donetsk. Remember, people always talk about how Donetsk has been bombed for all these years. These are the people that actually, you know, responded to that. So we're going to, you know, get into their backgrounds, their lives a bit. And also, of course, some of these intimate and interesting details about the beginning of the Donbass War, which of course has now become what we believe the first front in the Third World War. So these are these are men who have had no no little influence on history, I guess we could put it that way. Yeah, that's right. And the backstory to these particular three figures getting involved in Ukrainian history and the future history of Russia essentially begins at the Euromaidan. So none of this would essentially be possible if not for the CIA coup, which occurred in November 2013 in the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, and eventually uh, fizzled out in February 2014. So it lasted roughly four months long, this essentially huge coup and a series of riots, which saw, you know, attacks on police officers, attacks on orphanages. Orthodox churches, um, and essentially was a Western-instigated uh, Arab Spring-type event in in the Ukraine itself, which saw the ousting of the uh, you know I guess rightfully elected president Viktor Yanukovych, who took a more pro-Russian stance. His particular residence was raided by pro-Ukrainian militiamen, Western you know militiamen. There was a an abundance of neo-Nazi battalions who also were present at the Maidan riots in Kiev and all this unrest essentially saw Ukraine kind of scattered and divided amongst itself and the eastern regions of Ukraine which are always very pro-Russian and very had a very um, no real affiliation with these new uh, neo-Nazi militia groups which were you know taking power in Lvov, in Odessa att attacking you know pro-Russian forces in Kiev uh, and as well as Kharkov, they really didn't see themselves as as a one people, as as a united sort of collective. And in fact, this unrest led to the Donetsk, of course, firstly led to Crimea proclaiming itself independent and joining itself with Russia for a referendum. And the Russian Black Sea Fleet, of course, participated in that particular election and uh, in terms of facilitating it, making sure it was safe and making and preventing any sort of terrorist acts from occurring on the Crimean Peninsula during that early period in 2014. But of course, after Crimea became independent and joined with the rule of Russia, other regions of Ukraine also wanted to join, except they didn't have the same, I suppose, the same geographic advantage as the Crimean Peninsula had initially. So the, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic initially was just the was just known as the city of Donetsk and its countryside surrounding it, as well as Lugansk, the city of Lugansk, as well as the countryside around it. And these two particular regions were. Uh, essentially were at risk of uh, essentially being invaded by some of these far right-wing militias. And so they needed to, the governments in those particular cities, they wanted to call pro-Russian forces from either Russian volunteers or Crimea in order to essentially defend these particular cities from any pro-Kiev weird regime right-wing uh, forces coming in to disrupt any, any sort of local referendums and elections. And so there was a call out to Crimea and uh, Crimea sent... 54, or, you know, by official sources, 52 commandos led by a man named Igor Strelkov, who arrived in Donetsk, and in fact, not to Donetsk directly, but arrived in a city to, just to the west of Donetsk, which is uh, called Slavyansk. Now, Slavyansk is roughly uh, the same distance from Donetsk as the city of Bakhmut is today. Bakhmut, you know, notably, probably the largest siege and battle of the 21st century. It's ongoing at the moment, as the, as the recording of this 
of this video in April 2023. But Slavyansk was essentially the city which Strelkov and some of these early volunteers and defenders of Donetsk chose as their military base. Uh, Strelkov and most of these Donetsk people's volunteers were former, you know, not Strelkov himself, but at least three quarters of those who came with him were all former Ukrainian military men. So it's not like these were people from Russia or Russian servicemen who, you know, decided to overthrow rightful Ukrainian Ukrainian legal structures there. No, a lot of them were former Ukrainians or those who served in Ukraine, served in the Ukrainian SBU, in the Ukrainian Spetsnaz, the Ukrainian VDV forces, and also in the Ukrainian Navy. So a lot of these folks were uh, old former Ukrainian um, patriots who were, you know, essentially saw the truth that Ukraine was falling apart and they wanted to stand up for the future of their culture and peoples and wanted to unite them with Russia. Strelkov arrived in Slavyansk and surely enough he realized that soon the city would come under siege once because this Maidan was already coming to an end. The, the riots were fizzling out in Kiev and soon he realized Kiev would be sending its military forces or whatever it had at its disposal towards these rebel these new new founded rebellious republics in the east. And Slavyansk would be, I suppose, the first city which would need to be defended and so he quickly uh interviewed some of his some of his forces available and selected several folks to, to be his uh, military commanders one of those local commanders who he elected and promoted to the status of an officer was was uh, arseny pavlov who was is known by his nickname motorola now motorola would come to fame as uh, and notably notably would become very famous due to his uh you know very talented and active participation in the events you know throughout 2014 and 15 and Givi also was you know participating in this defense of Slavyansk from the Ukrainian forces in 2014 but he was simply a a local Ukrainian serviceman right as Conrad I think will give us some of his background Givi arrived at Slavyansk from his home city of Ilovansk in the east of Donetsk that is it for the free preview of episode 6 of Ether Hour, everybody. Be sure to click the link in the description below to subscribe to hear the full episode, get our full analysis on Givi, Motorola, Strelkov. Hear some of the stuff that you're not going to hear anywhere else, especially in the English language. It really helps us out when you support. There's a free trial for you to get some ears on some of that premium content before you pay. But again, your support means more to us than you know. So again, thank you so much for listening. Your support helps us out so much, and God bless.